The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, the headline that sent stocks spiraling into the close will tell you what it is and separate fact from fiction. Plus, Boeing getting a little luck of the Irish today. The big news from overseas that sent this stock soaring. And later, a Hollywood ending, what Warner Brothers just did that could mean lights out for the movie theaters. But we start off with a reopening rally. Check out the move in the airlines today. Delta, United, American all jumping 4% or more. And they weren't alone. Cruise stocks were up. The casinos were up. Restaurants were up. But wait a minute. Did we forget completely about what is going on across America with the pandemic? The U.S. just reported more than 2,800 deaths in a single day, a new record. Hospitalizations are at an all-time high. And America's second largest city, Los Angeles, just ordered all its residents to remain in their homes. So as America shuts back down, the reopening rally seems to be raging on. So what's going on here, Tim? Well, it, look, the, the numbers are sad. They're shocking. And, and they continue to look like uh, that should be all we care about for the markets. And, and uh, so I don't want to be insensitive, but let's be clear. If you're buying the reopening trade, you're buying what is probably most likely peak COVID. And, and you know, we have inoculations around the corner, thank God. Uh, we have multiple treatments. We have uh, testing that's now finally becoming uh, orderly and consistent and something people have access to. This, look, uh, this is a horrible moment in our country's history. People need to be really uh, safe and responsible right now. But if you're buying, you're buying the worst. As any investor, any time, you always buy the darkest point. And, and I think that that's what this feels like. And if you look at airlines and if you look at casinos and cruise lines. Um, yes, they've had a very big run. But if anything, those four Mondays that we had in a row, ultimately, uh, I think are part of the message here that, that, that really these things are picking up momentum. And, and again, for airlines, it's not about uh, balance sheets anymore. It's about recovery. So unfortunately, the headlines with the virus are shocking and sad and scary. Um, but for investors, that's when you're buying at peak COVID. Because theoretically, we can see the path to the other side, Tim mentioned the inoculations. We see a path to potential stimulus, whether it be during this lame duck session or when Biden actually gets um, in office, inaugurated into office. Guy Dami, is, is that what we're seeing now? And, and do you think this is how this rotation, this move into the reopening, does this stick? Great question. I mean, good for Tim, by the way. Kudos. I'm not sure really the derivation of kudos, but in, I guess in today's world, you do the HT, the hat tip to Tim, who's been talking about this for a while. I would submit, you know, the darkest periods might be in front of us, but it was pretty dark there a few months ago, if you recall. 
And these stocks have all had tremendous runs. They're, they're trading as if not only are things going to get back to normal in May, June of next year, but things are going to be exponentially better, which I'm hard-pressed to believe is the case. So I think in terms of valuation, the market is extraordinarily expensive here. We talk about market cap to GDP, either side of 180 percent, which is historic levels and significantly higher than Mr. Buffett talks about in terms of his risk analysis. But market doesn't seem to care because I think a couple things. Yes, they see a light at the end of the tunnel. And oh, by the way, there's this still belief that somehow the Federal Reserve has our back and they will and they will be there in case something bad happens to the market. And that, quite frankly, has been true. But the warning signs are clearly there, in my opinion, Melissa. And you can attack the valuation of the overall market. But when you take a look at, let's say, some of these individual reopening trades and Steve, I'll go to you on this one with the Norwegian Cruise Lines. You know this stock well. It is down, what, 56 percent, more than 50 percent year to date. People will get back on those ships, presumably, at some point, and it may not be tomorrow. It may not be in February because they've just said we're not going to sail through February, but they will get back, no? Yeah, they will get back, and I agree with Tim's premise. And when you look at something, when you use the example of a Norwegian cruise line or a Royal Caribbean or the airlines or the hotel names, then you're going to have this, this dramatic bounce back. But when you look at the overall market, it's a different story. How much has already been pulled forward? So I think that's the question you have to ask. When we started having the, the conversation in earnest on vaccine, the market ran 22% from there. S&P I'm talking about. So while I do agree with Tim, I guess the, 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 the problem I have is I think the darkest days are behind us. Uh, I'm hoping the darkest days were behind us. But how much of this is really when the rubber hits the road is going to really come through when the economic recovery really happens? So I think the market is due for a pullback. I don't think you're buying the darkest days right now. Market overextended. But I do agree. Airlines, hotels, cruise lines, definitely worth a a kick in the tires and to buy those. Before we get to Dan, though, Steve, a quick point of clarification. When you say the darkest days are behind us, do you mean in terms of the economy, in terms of the stock market, in terms of the COVID numbers? What what is the darkest days? Because because all those those three things are not linked. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I I understand. And they, they are linked. When you look at the market, the market is rallying at all time highs the look through was the Fed watching our backs. Then it was the vaccine coming through. So I think the darkest days of not having a vaccine or not having any hope, those days are behind us. But I think the market has really pulled forward a lot of that um, end of the anxiety or, or beginning of the hopefulness that the economy will actually restart once again. So I think the market actually got ahead mm-hmm. of where we are currently, but I do hope that the darkest days as far as the virus are behind us. Dan, you've got your holiday cheer on, I can tell. You've got the tree up going into uh, December, the end of December. Two trees. All the, two trees. Two trees. Two tre- wow. We, we got, we got a, a Christmas tree and we got a hot, 
and we got a Hanuk- we got a Hanukkah bush there too. Um, well, here's the deal. Um, you know, I, I, listen, I agree with everything that these guys have said. I just say the stuff that's rallied really hard. We know the Russell 2000 small caps are up 22 percent in in what feels like a straight line in a month. We know that a lot of the hospitality and leisure and retail bricks and mortar in particular that were hard hit um, and energy have gone straight up and massively outperformed. We were all expecting that at some point, obviously in financials too, um, at some point in this year. And we just got this cluster of vaccine news. So, you know, you're getting all of that really positive sentiment about the potential for a fully reopened economy at some point in the second half of 2021. And you're going after the beta names, the names that you know that have massively underperformed where you can get massive outperformance at this time. And what have we seen? We've seen the mega cap tech that did a lot of heavy lifting this year. We know the five names, the F mega complex that make up seven and a half trillion dollars in market cap. They've gone sideways. They're all except Google down about 10% from their all-time highs uh, made on September 2nd, never confirming the highs in the S&P 500. So listen, it's a good old-fashioned rotation going on. I suspect you're going to see some air come out of those names that have gone straight up at some point because to Steve's point, we are extended. Uh, Sentiment seems overly positive here. We're about 15, 16% from the 200-day moving average, which is down at 3150 in the S&P 500. So the idea that the stock market's just going to rally and close on the dead highs Mm -hmm. in 2020 after the year that we've had, it's not a great setup for 2021. So you'd almost rather see a retest of 3,600 and then a retest of 3,400, get a little ugly, and then you find the opportunity to build on a base and break out early next year. I I get the points being made about valuation of the overall markets, but Tim, back to the specific reopening rally that we are seeing as COVID is getting just terrible, downright terrible in the United States. A lot of these stocks are still down double digit percentages from where they were pre-pandemic. So there isn't, I mean, they might have rallied sharply, but they're nowhere near pre-pandemic levels. So within this complex, Uh, what are we pulling forward? We're not pulling forward anything in terms of returning back to normal, are we? I think you're getting both. And I think if you look at airlines, you have to be careful because uh, 100K Wolf did a pretty good analysis I was reading where he, he, he talked about that airlines have largely, if you look at the numbers now and the share prices, they've, they've, you know, they're, they're pricing at about 86% of pre-COVID uh, EBITDA. And, and, and that's, um, I'm not sure if that's where we're supposed to be, but you also have to compare within the ranks um, the relative value. And, and, and American has actually outperformed Delta while diluting their share base 38 percent. Meanwhile, Delta actually through some share buybacks and taking no treasury dilutive capital is, is uh, actually seeing their share count come in a little bit. So just investors need to be careful here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but remember, uh, yes, I'm not talking about the overall market. I'm talking about the, the, the reopening trade. Right. And the Jets ETF, as an example, we talk about this, it's up 45% uh, in the last 24 days, which includes those successive Mondays of great news on vaccinations. I, I, I think you have to still uh, pay attention to this trade. All right. Speaking of that ETF, Jets shares of Boeing getting a nice tailwind today as the company locks in a crucial order for a 737 MAX plane. Phil Lebeau's got the details. Phil. 
Melissa, they've been waiting a long time for news like this. This is a big order from Ryanair. How big? 75 737 maxes. And this is really the first time in a year and a half that we've seen an order or even a commitment, an interest in this many max planes. Total commitment now from Ryanair will be 210 planes. They had previously placed an order for 135. These deliveries start early next year. And Boeing CEO believes this is the beginning of what they expect to see more often over the next several months. I am confident that this is the beginning of our uh, uh, fulfillment of a a more robust order book, uh, more coming in than going out. Those comments, one reason why shares of Boeing up almost 6% today. Now, keep in mind, they've had 448 737 MAX orders canceled this year, and that's not even including the accounting adjustments, which brings the order book down more than 1,000 planes. It now currently stands at 4,102 planes, and they weren't the only stock moving higher. Ryanair also moved higher, and if you take a look at shares of Ryanair, unlike a lot of airlines, it's actually been performing fairly well over the last six months. At today at the press conference, CEO Michael O'Leary, O'Leary was asked point blank, hey, look, the, the Max is a tarnished brand. Any idea about changing it, not calling it the Max anymore? Here's what he had to say. Frankly, we don't care what you call it. Uh, we've never been overly sensitive as an airline. As long as you buy our cheap fares and fly our on-time flights, you can call us whatever you like. Michael O'Leary, as always, blunt about his thoughts when people are asking him questions like that. All of the airline stocks moving higher today. Also, we heard from United Airlines, Melissa. It will be receiving the first 737 MAX since they have been ungrounded, which the first certificate came from the FAA earlier this week. United will receive the first plane that is being delivered since the ungrounding. That is expected to happen next week. Bill, do we get a sense of how much of a discount there is for the planes that Ryanair will be buying? Well, Michael O'Leary was asked that question, and he said, not as much as I would have liked. He goes, but then again, Dave Calhoun probably is giving me more of a discount than he would have liked. Generally speaking, most people, when I've talked with them today, have said, look, I wouldn't be surprised if it's anywhere between 30 and 40 percent off of the list price. And keep in mind, airplanes never sell for the list price. I think the list sure. price on the 737 max but a 30 to 40 percent is, is about 120 million. Deeper than, than not paying and it could be much normally. deeper than that. Michael O'Leary said it was not as much as some people were speculating. Uh, and I heard before this that a lot of people said, look, I wouldn't be surprised if it's 50 percent off. Whatever the price is, Dave Calhoun says, look, we can still do well selling these. And the important thing is you're starting to fill in the skyline in terms of Mm -hmm. the order book, which has just been riddled over the last year with cancellations and airlines saying, no, you know, given COVID-19, given everything going on, we'll pass on taking the max. And remember, they were allowed to do that once this plane, once it had been grounded for more than a year. Quite, some, quite a markup if they can still make money with a 30 to 40 percent discount, Phil. Uh, thank you very much. You bet. Phil LeBeau. Guy, doesn't matter. Don't we need to know what the discounted price is in order to get people to buy this plane? <laughs> I mean, at a First price, of all, we somebody will this always Michael buy Larry a plane. Character. He's, he's one. Yeah, he's, we got to get him on this show because that Musk, guy is just. Sheldon Adelson, you know, all these guys. Outspoken CEO. Yeah, he, he would be, I mean, he should be in a Scorsese movie first, and then he should come on our show second. <laughs> but again, that's for either, neither here nor there. And, and I guess it doesn't matter. Right now, the market seems to be impervious to all those things. What I will say, though, is, you know, on this great segment that we do on Fast Money called The Power Pitch, Tim talked about this stock Boeing in the 180s. 
And I think we actually said to look for a move back to the June 5th high of about 234. And here we are. We did it on two times the normal volume. I think you're taking profits. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Tim would agree. But that's where you're taking money off the table. The place to be, and I've said this as well a number of times, it's Spirit Aerospace SPR, which I believe Cowan just put on their best ideas list. That the one, that's the one that probably has the most leverage to the upside. So taking money, taking profits in Boeing, I think, looking to stay levered and long in SPR. Tim was shaking his head, so I'm not sure he agreed. Go ahead, Tim. Well, you know, I, 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 I hear Guy and, and I would be selling Boeing when they get back to 80 percent of that order book. You're not there's no question um, that, that the, the best part of this rally is is when you see a recovery in demand. I thought the most interesting thing about the Ryanair announcement, too, is also that they're they're going to peak in their A320. So the Airbus, the, co- the competition is going to peak at 29 jets in their fleet by 2022. But like, it, you know, this is a double win for, for Boeing. They're basically they're they're pushing back on the competition. They're jumping in there and buying fleets. I thought that's powerful. And, and, and I think Airbus, look, the A320, frankly, many people think is a better plane. So I thought this news was doubly powerful in favor of the Max. And no, you don't ride Boeing forever, but there's more to go. All right. Now to the story that moved the markets late in the session. We've got more details on the Pfizer COVID vaccine rollout. Let's get to Meg Terrell, who's got all the details. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, so this Wall Street Journal story crossed with a headline saying that Pfizer slashed its COVID-19 vaccine rollout target after facing supply chain obstacles. What the headline left out is that Pfizer had made that change in November. And so all of the numbers in terms of Pfizer's expectations for supply of its vaccine this year are the same as we've been talking about for the last month. So in September, they'd been guiding to 100 million doses being available of their vaccine in 2020 and 1.3 billion in 2021. In November, when they reported that 90% efficacy in the interim look at their phase three clinical trial, they also noted that now they're looking at 50 million doses available in 2020. So that was cut in half, but it wasn't cut in half today. It was cut in half at least a month ago. Uh, Now, Pfizer telling us today there are several factors that impacted the number of doses estimated to be available in 2020, including the fact that scaling up a vaccine at this pace is unprecedented and the scale up of raw material supply at the supply chain took longer than they expected. They also noted that their clinical trial outcome for the phase three was later than the initial uh, projection, making them have to focus additional efforts on the clinical trial production. Uh, They told us, quote, modifications to our full scale production lines in the U.S. and Europe are now complete and finished doses are being made at around rapid pace. They say we are confident in our ability to supply at a pace of approximately 1.3 billion doses by the end of 2021. And I also confirmed the 50 million is still the projection for 2020. Additionally, I talked with Monsef Slawi, the chief advisor to Operation Warp Speed, um, who told me, quote, there is no change to their commitments to the U.S. and I haven't been informed of any issues. So, Melissa, this really is sort of an explainer on a change that Pfizer made between September and November. As for all of the expectations we're expecting to for Pfizer supply right now, there is no change. Mel? All right. Thank you, Meg, for all that reporting. Meg Terrell, who's on top of this. Meg, not only through cold water on this story, but through ice cubes, blocks of ice all over yeah. this. And yet we saw the stock move. We saw the markets move. It felt like algos taking over on, on this negative headline, Dan. I don't know. What, what did you make of this? Well, here's the thing. There's, there's headlines hitting the tape right now that Moderna is going to have between 100 and I think 125 million doses in Q1 of their vaccine. So it's all good news. Um, you'd much rather have them under promise and over deliver. I'll just mention this. When we talk about deliver and the logistics that are going into um, this vaccine, 
being just kind of sent out all over the world, but specifically our country, we know that the the, the um, government is doing it. We know the army is doing oh, it. I yeah. grew up in a household. I mean, My dad was a was a retired, uh, you know, a lieutenant colonel in the army. We had a saying in our household, close enough for government work. I, I think that, and, and that wasn't, you know, being too glib in a way. The point is, is that we have the biggest challenges in front of us right now about distributing this vaccine here in the U.S., getting to herd immunity. And I would suspect it's going to take a lot longer than people think. I don't think it's going to be the sort of thing that we're still going to be talking about this a year from now. But I think if your expectation is that we're going to hit herd immunity at some time, in Q2, I think that is probably a bit aggressive. Just to clarify on the Moderna headlines, they are reaffirming expectations of 20 million. So along the lines of Pfizer, this isn't necessarily new news. What was interesting, though, um, Steve, just quickly, is that Moderna shares did move up sharply on the back of that Pfizer headline, which now turns out to be nothing new. Yeah, they moved up about five and a half percent off of that headline today. And what uh, to Dan's point, when you saw the market and you had mentioned algos, the market is extremely skittish on any vaccine news or any vaccine hurdle that they're not going to cross over. So the market has gotten once again ahead of itself. And I think look for any negative news and you're going to get some involved in the transportation of this vaccine. And that's when you're going to get the opportunity. But you have to be fast in this marketplace to take advantage of those dips that we saw today. Maybe you're going to get an extended one going forward. All right. Coming up, take your seats because class is in session. NYU's Dean Evaluation is here. He's got three stocks where valuations have gone wild. But first, we've got an earnings alert on DocuSign. Shares are shooting higher in the after hours of the company's conference call gets underway. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on DocuSign. Shares are sharply higher in the after-hour session, uh, down a little bit from the after-hour session highs. Um, the conference call is underway. Josh Lipton's got the details. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, DocuSign is headed higher here. Remember, heading into this print, that stock was already up about 200% so far in 2020. Though it would come under some recent pressure. It was down about 20% from a recent high, but now higher here in the after hours. Quick take on the print. I checked in with Rishi Jaluria over at DA Davidson. He says this was a really good quarter. Growth rates accelerating. They continue adding customers at a healthy clip. He says guidance looks healthy and conservative in his opinion. In other words, he thinks they're setting a relatively low bar, he argues, given how strong the demand environment is. Still has a buy on this name, says they are the clear market leader. And tailwinds, he argues, are sustainable. On the call, CEO Dan Springer noting Q3 Brilling's growth of 63%. They now have 822,000 customers. Companies are accelerating their digital transformation, he says. They see that remote work can be very productive. DocuSign is an essential part of that. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Uh, Dan Nathan, this seems like a stay-at-home trade which may actually have legs after the pandemic. 
It might. You know, it's funny. A few nights ago after Zoom reported and we were talking about their 350 percent year over year revenue growth and the stock was trading down, we were all scratching our heads. Here's a company that just reported 50 percent year over year sales growth and and the stock's up five percent or so. Um, You know, listen, I think it's important. This is a 43 billion dollar market cap company. I used to think this would be a great feature on a broader platform before it was up 250 percent or so um, in the last year. So you just have this problem here where these companies are going to have to grow into these valuations, especially at a time where next year you're going to see deceleration in customer growth and revenue growth. And that just is really what investors are going to be willing to pay for this. Great company, great service, big market cap. The one good thing about DocuSign, though, I mean, in terms of you know rolling off business when the pandemic is over, um, is that the average contract length is 17 months. So that sort of gets you through even the period of the pandemic guy. I mean, the revenue is a little bit stickier than it may seem on the surface. And they're running the business better. Operating margins were 13%, and I think the street was looking for like 7.8%. So so good for them. And I think it was in early September, we played one of our many games, like is this a work-from-home stock or is this something that you just asked Dan? Is this going to sort of stand the test of time? And I think the answer was a resounding yes. DocuSign's not going anywhere anytime soon. And yes, valuation is stretched. And yes, everything Dan said is right. But guess what? Company is operating better. Their growth is still there. And I think it takes a shot at that all-time high, which I believe was 290 or so back in early September. All right, let's stick with the cloud here. Splunk shares getting crushed after the company reported disappointing earnings. And there was a ton of options activity in the name today. Let's get to Mike Coe, who's got the action. Mike. Yeah, so Splunk, interesting situation. Usually we see a lot of activity ahead of Catalyst. Here we saw a lot of activity coming out of the Catalyst. Splunk traded more than 38 times its average daily call volume, and most of that activity was concentrated in the immediate out-of-the-money strikes that expire tomorrow. What was going on there was traders were buying the 160, 165, and 170 strike calls. They were paying about $2.50 right off the open for the 160 strike calls, betting that although the stock had gone sharply lower, that you might see some intraday volatility. And I think this is one of those prime situations where you actually can use options to your advantage when you're dealing with stocks like these. These are the narratives versus the numbers. If it's a strict, mature company, only numbers, you can reset after you hear an earnings call, just adjust your model, and you can get a new price. But when it's a narrative story like this, trading 11 and a half times revenues, then you're going to see a lot of intraday volatility, and there's an opportunity to make a lot of money in those situations if you play it right. Yeah, Mike, thank you for that. Mike Coe, for more options, actually, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what is coming up next. Markets may be at record highs, but are some of the highest flyers ready to come back down to earth? NYU's Dean of Valuation breaks down what he's seeing. Plus, the bold move by Warner Brothers that lowered the curtain on the stocks of theater chains today. All that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another record day on Wall Street with the Nasdaq closing at a new all-time high. And our next guest says there are three high flyers in this record rally that could come crashing down. Class is in session with the Dean of Valuation, Aswat Damodaran, finance professor at NYU. Professor, always good to see you. Good to be back. Let's let's start off with Tesla. And uh, before you actually dive into your valuation analysis, uh, at what point did you think Tesla was not overvalued? I sort of want to get that out of the way. <laughs> I, I sold it. I mean, given the stock split price, I sold it at 120. And you can see how much money I've left on the table. But uh, at this point, I don't even try to value Tesla. I just try to reverse engineer from the market cap what has to happen for that stock price to be justified. And here's what I see. I see a company that's being priced to deliver more than a half a trillion dollars in revenues with margins like a software company. Now, there are some who believe that that can be pulled off. I just, I, I'm skeptical. I mean, to me, that, that if they can pull it off, that is something that no company in history has ever done. So I'm just looking at the market cap and saying that is, that is a huge mountain you've got to climb to justify that market cap. So when you said this, a software company, some might argue, bulls might argue that the software, the, the intellectual property component of this company is much greater than it being just a hardware company, an auto company. The miles driven for the autonomous um, driving aspect of the company should be valued much greater. And so maybe you can get to the valuation there. If you imputed a higher valuation for those parts of the business, can you get anywhere near where it's valued right now? See, I think there are pieces, and this is why I think, Tesla, you can get to different valuations. There are pieces of the story. Each piece is justifiable, right? I mean, there is a part of Tesla that's software. For instance, a car goes with software, and they've talked about selling the software separately. The question is whether you can get margins that are 15, 20, 25 percent, which are software margins, with the revenues that a traditional automobile company has delivered, half a trillion dollars. So I think it's combining the different pieces of the story that makes me uncomfortable because mm-hmm. those pieces usually don't go together. I mean, think of Microsoft, 22% margins, but $130 billion in revenues. I mean, right. we're talking about Tesla having four times as much revenues and margins like Microsoft. That's right. going to be a tough, tough, tough uh, hill to climb. Um, let's move on to Zoom, Professor. And I'm, I'm going to start off again with the same question. At what point did you think Zoom became overvalued? I think very early in the pandemic, Zoom and Peloton to me became the symbols of lazy investing. Lazy investing in the sense of, hey, I want to take advantage of the pandemic. Let me pick the companies that I think will benefit. And guess what people zoomed in on? What they were working on every day, Zoom and and the fact that Peloton was benefiting. I think that they've benefited. And don't get me wrong. I love Zoom as a company. I think they've got the perfect platform for this virus. But at the same time, I think they, they uh, I think the market cap has run way ahead of what the company can actually deliver in terms of revenues, especially after we go back to work. I think some people will stay on Zoom. I think the story is still much bigger than it was before the virus hit. But I can't see it being big enough to justify the prices we're paying for this company. Dean Aswath, it's Tim. Thank you. What about the competitive uh, landscape in that same space? I mean, that's got to be part of your argument here. It's, it's extremely competitive. Exactly. And I think and it's got big players with deep pockets, right? You've got Cisco and you've got Microsoft. Neither player is going away. So 
for me that the the problem for Zoom is even if the market for online meetings teaching is much bigger, it's going to face a lot more competition going forward, and that's something that I don't think has been priced in right, right now. You mentioned Peloton. That's that's a third stock that you're saying could come crashing down, and and I'm wondering if there's an argument that this is a company that could actually become a software player with bigger margins, as opposed to a company that sells bikes and treadmills. And I think that's going to happen. It's going to become a subscription model-based company. I mean, when I originally valued Peloton in September of 2019, I valued it as a luxury fitness equipment company with a subscription business on the side. Today, I value Peloton as a subscription business with a fitness equipment business on the side. And I think that that it is going to succeed at that. So when I say when, when I say the value is too high, I'm, it's still going to be much higher than it was before the virus. I just don't think you can justify the prices that investors are paying for the company because that subscription business. I mean, right now they're charging thirteen dollars a month for the subscription. You pay sixteen dollars a month for Netflix. On a relative basis, that seems to be a pretty expensive subscription for a fitness app. And I think that's something you're going to start to see come under pressure as well once the, the, we stop staying at home and we start looking at options. Professor, it is always great to get your insight. Thank you very much. Aswat Damodaran of NYU. Um, Peloton and Zoom, Guy, examples of lazy investing. Do you agree? You understand what he's saying there. Yeah, I mean, totally. I think he even backtracked a little bit on the lazy. So, but I understand what he's saying. Like, oh, stay at home. What are people going to do? They're going to ride their bikes. They're going to do Zoom videos by the stock. Sort of the Peter Lynch in 2020. I get it. But my pushback would be I would submit at this price, even if Zoom is 75% of what they're doing now in 2021, you know, the stock is still pretty reasonable, I think. And that's, I think the world has changed fundamentally. And although Peloton, if this had just lasted a month, I would have agreed with them. You know, we're nine, ten months into this. I think people have come attached to their Peloton. I know I have, and I know you have. And I think if K-Fine in 09 were here, mm-hmm. she'd say the same thing. People love their bikes. And, again, you know, I, I ride with certain people, and I'm steadfast in that. And I'm going to stay true to my Peloton roots, Melissa. You ride with people? Oh, you mean like the instructors, not – do you ride with Karen? The, in, the, you, the We don't ride together, that's for sure. The instructors. The instructors. Got it. No, no we, do, we uh, don't ride we together. We do not ride together. The instructors. Uh, Grasso, just quickly, um, which is your, your pick? So when you look at the overvaluation, I think that Zoom is overvaluated. And, and if you look at it, people are going to get back to work. And then the people that don't go back to work that are sitting home – they're probably going to Zoom a lot less because there's going to be people in the office play, uh, office space and they're not going to be as relevant anymore. So Zoom and Peloton, just think about how much money wasn't spent on vacations and people bought the bike. It's an expensive bike. There's competition now. And I think once people start to take vacations, once people start to get out of their house and do other opportunities to, for them to spend their money, they're not going to buy the bike. Guy loves the bike. It's a great product. It's cult-like. Everyone loves the product, but I think you're going to wind up seeing sales actually decelerate in a significant fashion moving forward. All right. Speaking of valuations, take a look at some of the stocks hitting all-time highs today. Up next, we'll find out if the traders are buying in or cashing out on these record runs. But first, it is a headline straight out of a Mission Impossible, the latest target for hackers, what it is and what it says about the safety of our supply chain. The details from Fast Money Returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a developing story for you. Hackers are targeting the coronavirus vaccine supply chain. Eamon Javers joins us now with more on that. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that's right. This is a new report out just today from IBM's X-Force threat assessment team. And what they were looking at here is a, a bio a, a hacking attack against the process of storing the COVID vaccine. What they're saying is that hackers actually impersonated an executive from uh, Higher Biomedical. That's a known company inside uh, the cold storage effort to store and transport vaccines. They sent phishing emails to organizations involved in the storage and transportation of vaccines. They targeted executives in sales, procurement, technology, and finance. That What they're saying here, IBM's security team, is that this likely came from a nation state trying to gather information on COVID processes. Now, I asked Nick Rossman of IBM's X-Force team today what the worst case scenario is and what he's really worried about. He told me that his ultimate concern here is something that you might consider COVID terrorism. Take a listen to this. They're trying to replicate the knowledge of the cold chain, how the refrigeration works, what sort of manufacturing is required, or potentially also to conduct a disruptive or destructive attack, preventing the refrigeration from occurring or somewhere in the life cycle uh, so that these vaccines spoil and you know, the public perception and trust in the vaccine gets lost. So what he's saying there, Melissa, is that this attack was not designed to sort of raise money. So he doesn't think it's cyber thieves out there. He thinks it's a nation state intelligence service because it's gathering information. And what they might do with that information, he worries, is actually use it to disrupt the distribution of the vaccine worldwide, attacking that cold storage process in some way to discredit it and cause people to be worried that these vaccines aren't safe next year. The alarm, I mean, the whole thing is alarming, but I think what is more alarming is that Uh, This sector, this industry, this is not the first time that vaccine makers have been targeted. I mean, over the summer, Eamon, weren't there hackers tied to China who were hacking into Moderna to try and get some information on the vaccine development there? Yep, exactly. And and that effort to gather information, we've seen it each step of the way about how the vaccine was going to be made. And now, in this case, about how it's going to be distributed. Uh, And the question is, how are these nation states using this information? Is this just them getting a jump on the research? Look, it's easier to steal R&D than it is to develop it yourself, right? So if you're a nation state that's panicking that you don't have the know-how intellectually to get this vaccine uh, up and running or to get it out to people once you have it, uh, then you can steal that from the West. And that seems to be what's happening here. It's very early, but that's the indication that we got from IBM today, Melissa. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers. So what a, what a fascinating yeah. story here. And of course, the big question is, even if we found out who did this, who was behind it, what nation state, what would the U.S. response be? Because historically, there has been no response to this sort of attack. Um, Dan, what do you make of the story? Interesting story. I mean, we talked about it on our call earlier. It's a couple movie plots here. We have Mission Impossible 2. We also have The Saint with the cold storage here. Um, and, you know, I just have to bring that up. Um, no, I, listen, I think there's a lot of different ways. You know, if you think about it, I don't know what the retaliation would be, um, but you do have a situation where there's no shortage of bad actors that could look to disrupt the, the logistics and the distribution um, of this thing. And it goes back to what we were talking about in the A block here. I mean, it is not a done deal that we are going to get seven and a half billion people inoculated from this virus over the next year. So there's just a lot of logistical complications here and hackers um, just pose another threat here, obviously. Coming up, lights, camera, disaster for the movie theater stocks. The big headline that sent these stocks tumbling. Grab your seat. 
We'll break down the trades next. But first, the all-time high club is getting pretty crowded. Is there more room to run in these names, or should you take the money and run? Stick around. We are playing a game. Yes, a game. Much more fast than two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another big day on Wall Street with the S&P and Nasdaq touching fresh intraday highs, and they weren't the only ones. Stocks like Applied Materials, Disney, Uber, Starbucks, and BlackRock also hitting all-time highs in today's market action. So, of course, we thought it'd be a perfect time to play a little... Trade it or fade it! That's right. America's favorite game, trade it or fade it. Let's kick things off with BlackRock. (laughs) New all-time high today. Dan, trade it or fade it. Yeah, I'm fading this one. I just don't buy a runaway breakout like this. We think the market is extended here. This is obviously a proxy in a lot of ways for the market here. I'm just not a buyer after this run. Steve, what do you say? Yeah, I I still think this one is a trade it uh, for me. It is a buy. They dictate the whole tone in the in the investment space there through Mr. Fink. He kind of narrates the the total sector, the total environment. So I think you follow the leader. This is the one that I would be still a buyer of. Uh, let's go to Applied Materials, up 56% this year. We'll go back to Steve. Trade it or fade it? Uh, this, this one I have a tough time with. I, I would fade this one. But just specifically in the uh, place where it operates in, in the place where it operates in, the only, the only caveat for me would be the exposure to any solar cells because I think this is where they're going to really shine. And, uh, and I think going forward under a Biden administration, they would still get a little bit of a tailwind there. But overall, I think it's a, uh, it's a fade for me. I can understand why Steve would say that it's had a ridiculous run. I know we've talked about AMAT for a while, but on valuation, it's still not ridiculously expensive. So although... The stock has run considerably well above those prior all-time highs. I still think you can stay with AMAT. Oh, sorry. I was supposed to say trade it for trade it. Thank you. How many times have we played this game? Like 100,000 times? Um, anyway, uh, go to Uber here, up more than 75% this year. Tim, trade it or fade it? Yeah, this is how we do this. We trade this one, Melissa, because we actually believe that Uber is starting to get its act together. But more importantly, some of the macro that's been helping this uh, this company, whether it's legal in California, whether it is the dynamic of reopening, this is a story that also has been dead money um, really since the IPO. Uh, I do think that they're starting to get credit for the more diversified business. At one point, this was an albatross for the company. Trade it. Yeah, hey, I'm fading this one here. I think you have a pullback maybe to the mid-40s. I know that's being a little bit cute. I know that's being a little bit cute, but we're trading here. I think you play for a longer-term breakout in the new year. But I much think uh, Lyft right here probably has a little bit more upside, even though that one has ripped. It's still not at 52-week highs. Well, would you rather, self, would you rather thrown in there? Um, Guy, this is your chance to do it properly. Starbucks up 18% this year. Do you trade it or fade it, Guy? Um, you know, I was just thinking as I was sitting here, it, during the holiday season, and it is now the holiday season, this game should be called Wrap It with a W, Wrap It or Scrap It. Just throwing that out there. Maybe the producers are listening. I don't know. But in the case of this game, I would trade it, and it all comes off that fourth quarter report on November 2nd, I believe, where they just crush. Margins are improving. They're running the businesses better. You still have growth areas, valuation a little stretched. That's been a concern, but the stock has been impervious to any bad news. Trade it, Melissa. 
Melissa, I'm going to wrap it. Um, I think they don't fail at 100 this time. Starbucks is, I think, one of the great reopening stories, and I think they're they're a digital player now. Rapid is very confusing because wrapping implies that you're giving it away, not keeping it. They're all confusing. Okay. Just no, it's a gift. Cents. It's a gift. It's um, a wrap okay. the gift. Got it. Uh, well, scrap these, it. We'll, I mean, we'll you know, scrap it. it. Thank you. These stocks may be a trading at all-time highs. Goldman Sachs is seeing some nice opportunity in the names lagging the broader market. Head to cnbc.com slash pro to read more about the stocks the bank thinks uh, present the best value. All right, coming up, the cinema stocks getting crushed today. Is it lights out for these names? Details next. Got a bus kill on the movie theaters, AMC, Cinemark, IMAX, all falling hard on news. Warner Brothers plans to release its slate of 2021 movies on HBO Max the same time they hit the theaters. So could this be the final nail in the coffin for these theater chains? Steve Grasso, what do you think? It's certainly bad news, particularly when companies, especially AMC, they need money. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's obvious, right? They all fell out of bed today. They got, they got hit uh, very hard. But when you look at these, you, you mentioned IMAX. I think IMAX probably has the best opportunity here because when things get quasi back to normal, pe- you know, people don't want to be in a movie theater. They've built up their homes. They have larger screen TVs. They have theater seating now. But when you look at the IMAX product that they offer, that's a different experience. So I think out of those three that got hit today, IMAX probably stands the best chance in my mind to have some uh, semblance of, uh, of recovery when things get back to normal. Yeah, Dan, I mean, this, this could change the way movies are made even, budgets, of, like how we think about yeah, producing it, a movie. It, no doubt about it. I, I actually think Steve is 100% correct with the IMAX, and you might see AMC or the other ones kind of fall in line with the studios. They may just need to vertically integrate them. There's still going to be a movie-going experience. I love going to the movies. I know a lot of people do, but I'm also going to like to go and to my, my, my TiVo or whatever guy likes to call it and, and tune up the, the, the application store and watch whatever I want to watch. So I think that was the acceleration of the trend that was already happening. I think he may still be on Betamax. Uh, anyway, up next, we got your final trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Look, this Time Warner news, this HBO Max streaming news, uh, this movie news, I, I think is a shot in the arm for AT&T, which has been one of the big underperformers in this market. I'm long the stock, and I, 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 I like this news for AT&T. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Pfizer, two closes this week above that November 9th intraday high in Pfizer. I like it here going back to those highs over the next few months up in the mid-40s. Steve Grasso. I've been excited about a a, a bunch of stocks this year that have really rallied aggressively. Luminar is the next one, L-A-Z-R. I think this one is off to the races. Super excited. Guy Dami. I'm just excited to be with you all, folks, every night at 5 o'clock. Melissa, SPR, that'll get you done. I rolled my eyes, by the way. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.